Hey, everybody, it's Adam Ray and Brad Williams for the About Last Night podcast. Hey, Brad, I got a question for you. Do you shave? Well, of course I do, Adam. I'm a man. <laughs> Me too. I'm a Russian Jew, and I've been shaving since I was 12. And recently, I've been trying to find the best quality and most amazing and affordable shave. Well, I found it. DollarShaveClub.com is the answer. And to prove how amazing their shave really is, right now, they're going to give you, that's right, you, your first month free when you join the club. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Michael Caine. Hey, listen, everyone. DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to my front door for a third of the price. Wait, a third of a third. Uh, I can't do it in the Michael Caine accent. <laughs> for a third of the price of what the greedy razor corporations charge you. Hey, it's Tony Danza. And look, I also have no reason to deal with the drugstore hassle and battle the locked up razor fortress ever again. And neither will you when you join the Dollar Shave Club. All you got to do, go to dollarshaveclub.com and pick a razor that works for you from their lineup of amazing blades. That's all there is to it. What about you, Jason Statham? Well, I get a first-class shave whenever I use the executive blade. And when I use it, along with the Dr. Carver's Easy Shave Butter, the blade just gently glides for the smoothest shave ever. Look, it's awesome, it's easy, and with Dollar Shave Club, you can look, smell, and shave like a million bucks without paying for it. And ladies, this is not just for guys. Dollar Shave Club is also for women. We know you shave, too. You got to shave your legs, your arms, maybe your mustache. Listen, we're not judging. Not judging, not Grandma. Judging. Not we're judging. We're glad you do it. Shave it. We're glad you do it. Here's your chance to see why over 3 million members like me, Brad, Jason Statham, Michael Kang, Grandma with the mustache, all love Dollar Shave Club. It's so easy, too, and they're so confident in the quality of all their products now you can get your first month of the club for free. For free. All you got to do is pay shipping. And after that, it's just a few bucks a month. Just a couple of bucks. No long-term commitment. No hidden fees. There's really no reason not to do it. Can you think of a reason? Nope. That's right. There's no reason. That's why I said you can't think of one. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash last night to get your first month for free. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash last night. And start living the smooth life, baby. And now enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Hey, everybody. It's Adam Ray for the About Last Night podcast. How are you? Good to see you. Good to, good to feel you. <laughs> good to feel your, your listening, your attentiveness. Uh, brand new episode today. Hope you had a great weekend. I had a crazy, a crazy weekend. Holy shit. First of all, midweek on my way to... Uh, Man, on my way to Erie, Pennsylvania, which thank you, Junior's Last Laugh, for a great weekend of shows. First time there. Uh, so fun. Can't wait to go back. Um, on my way there, my flight got canceled, and uh, I spent Wednesday night in Chicago, because that's where I was had a layover. And that just also happened to be the night that the Cubs won the World Series. So I got a hotel about 20 minutes from Wrigleyville, which is where Wrigley Field is and where all the... The Cub chaos after post-game shit goes down. And I went to a local bar and watched the game, which was unreal. I'm sure you watched it. Everybody did. It was a nice break from all the election bullshit. And uh, and then went into the streets until about 5 a.m. and partied like it was 1999. Holy shit. The, I mean, partying with a team that just won the World Series is incredible. I've never done it. Uh, hopefully my Mariners get to do it one day. But especially with the stakes as high as they were for the Cubbies and the energy and the emotions. I mean, I've posted videos on my Facebook and Instagram of just the streets and the high-fiving and the cars and the chaos and the drinking. And it was just 
it was sports bring together people like nothing else. And it was like unreal to see the hugs and the high fives and the crying and the conversations. And, you know, it was it was incredible. And I'm so uh yeah, I feel grateful that I was able to like witness that and and be a part of it. And you know, Cubbies fans, nobody looked that I was wearing a Mariners hat. They just they welcomed me into the uh, celebration. So, congrats to the Cubs and all my Chicago friends. That was that was bonkers. Um, today's episode is wow, uh, a guest that I just never thought we would uh, get a chance to chat with. But Brad met him uh, at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, struck up a conversation, and uh, look at that booked him on the podcast. Uh, he directed movies such as Rush Hour, X-Men Last Stand, uh, The Family Man, uh, Tower Heist, which brought Eddie Murphy back to the big screen. Uh, he's one of the the hottest, uh, most successful directors in Hollywood. Um, he's produced so much shit. Just check up his IMDb. Um, and uh, his conversation today was... Not only incredible, he's a guy that can just chat forever, but his stories and his journey into the business is one that you'll, it's for sure only happened to him. And he's a go-getter, and he's uh, hes changed the game, and uh, and he was so candid with us, and it was a great conversation. And I'm talking about the one and only Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner, holy shit. He uh, forced his way into NYU film school at age 16. That story will blow your mind and inspire the fuck out of you. This guy does not take no for an answer. Uh, it really puts the whole "don't ask, you don't get" uh, you know attitude to the uh, to the fullest. Um, how he brought Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker together, how he found Chris Tucker for Rush Hour, uh, is an astounding story. He was best friends with Michael Jackson. He's got some great stories there. Um, directing Nick Cage and The Family Man, how he got Nick Cage attached to the project because he didn't want to do it. Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, it's an hour and change of just story after story, insight into the business, and um, it's just a great conversation. One of my favorite episodes, definitely, so far. Uh, so enjoy the hell out of this one. Follow Brett on Twitter. Oh, and get his whiskey. He has his own whiskey. The Hillhaven Lodge is the name of his whiskey. Please get that. He gave Brad and I a bottle. It's fucking unreal. He wanted a whiskey that uh, that women could enjoy that was, like, smooth, didn't have too much of a bite, and he hit this on the fucking head. Uh, Hillhaven Lodge Whiskey. Go get it, drink it, love it. It's amazing. Follow Brett on Twitter at Brett Ratner. I'm at Adam Ray Comedy, at Funny Brad, at Alan Podcast, at Alan Podcast on Instagram, Adam Ray 33 on Instagram, Brad Williams Comic on Instagram. And uh, come see us on the road uh, this weekend. I am at Wise Guys in Salt Lake City, Utah on Thursday, November 10th. Uh, at the Salt Lake City Wise Guys Comedy Club. First time there, so pumped. Uh, and then I'll be at the Wise Guys in Ogden on November 11th and November 12th. So one night at the Salt Lake City Wise Guys on November 10th and then November 11th and 12th at Wise Guys in Ogden. Get your tickets at adamraytv.com. The next weekend after that, November 17th to the 19th, I'm at Magoobies Comedy Club in Timonium, Maryland. That's right, Magoobies. Timonium, Maryland, which is... Uh, not too far from Baltimore and D.C., so if you live in that adjacent area, come out and see me at Magoobies, November 17th through the 19th in Timonium, Maryland. And then, of course, the Tempe Improv, November 23rd through the 25th in Tempe, Arizona. All those tickets and info at AdamRayTV.com. Brad Williams will be at the South Point Casino in Las Vegas at 1230 on November 12th. Go see Brad, South Point, November 12th, Las Vegas. November 18th and 19th, Brad is headlining Flappers in Burbank. I uh, was just there, had a blast. Go see Brad November 18th and 19th at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. And then November 25th through the 27th, Brad is in Pittsburgh at the Pittsburgh Improv. Get your tickets at improv.com. And storymerchandise.com for all your ALN merch. You know that. Hat shirts, mugs, posters. Go get them. They're a lot of fun. we got great designs. 
a lot of options. And uh, bring them to the shows, and we'll sign them for you. Take pictures, post them, uh, show you support. Support. Show your support with with your tweets and your emails. Keep those coming. Uh, and tell somebody about the podcast. The ratings, the five-star ratings and the reviews help on iTunes. Comments on the iTunes page. But tell somebody. Every time you listen to the pod, tweet at somebody, email a friend, tell a coworker, tell them to listen to the About Last Night podcast and spread the word. Um, and uh, and show your support that way. We know you guys are loving it. We get your emails and your tweets. And uh, and at live shows, like in Erie, Pennsylvania, so many ALN fans, which was bonkers, and maybe want to come out and do a live show with Brad there. Um, so keep those coming. Tell somebody about the podcast. Uh, and, uh, and tell them about today's episode, which I know you're going to love. Now that we got the Twitter handles out of the way, those are the tour dates. That's the merch info. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with the one and only Brett Rat. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a dope podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day, so come on and treat yourself right. It's about well, I thought uh, making it was having your own whiskey, but it might be having your own <laughs> your own bobblehead action figure, but w- yeah. with your Hebrew name on the box. It has to be. It's a Jewish. That's uh, pretty bobblehead. It's not a bobblehead. What is it called there? Action figure. Action figure. Yeah, yeah. Action there is a distinct that's, difference. Yeah, that's bigger. That's yeah, I, I, I you I don't play with <laughs> you don't fight your He-Man with a bobblehead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And uh, you may have said one of the more interesting sentences as we were walking in, getting set up to your beautiful home, which yeah. thank yeah, you thank so you much for having us here. Us. You said, I'm the king of Bud- uh, Budapest. Yeah, Budapest. Yeah, Budapest. Yeah. How are you the king of Budapest? I'm, well, because I lived there for nine months and I explored every crack and crevice <laughs> of Budapest. So How did you end up I'm, in I was shooting Hercules there with the oh, rock. yeah. And so I lived there for almost a year, and I literally, I mean, I'm a foodie, as you could tell from my belly, and I went, I found every good restaurant. So whenever somebody goes, or they say, I'm going to Budapest, which yeah. a lot of films are being made there. Yeah, yeah. Cheap. I uh, did, I was in a little scene in Spy, oh, with Paul were? Feig, so okay, we, I was there yeah. for a week, and I mean, ate out every night, yeah. and it was the best. Yeah, it's amazing. So I had a great time there, and, and uh, uh, it, it didn't have some of my favorite shopping, but it was, yeah. it was um, <laughs> you know, there were there were definitely pretty girls in Budapest, oh, that's yeah. for sure. Did you do the... Um, I didn't get to do it, but the bath, they... I didn't go because I'm a germaphobe, so yeah. I don't want to take baths with a bunch of strangers. What is, <laughs> I was, is that, is, 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 is that <laughs> a thing there? You go and you just... It's like a, a, it's a public bath. I mean, I guess okay. I mean, I guess the water is recirculating because it's from a, what is it called? From It's like from the earth. Natural spring? Yeah, yeah it's a natural spring. <laughs> sure. So the water is kind of revolving, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a freak when yeah. it comes to st- with good water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's still and, water. And uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us at, yeah. uh, in between producing what seems like every film in Hollywood yeah. has yeah, the Rat Pack logo yeah. that Isn't comes that cool? on before it. Uh, that wasn't a plan. That was by accident. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You, you guys have like, what, a, a 75 picture deal or with yeah, we, Warner we Brothers or something? Yeah, we agreed to finance 75 movies. Yeah. I think we've done 50 something. I can't even, I'm, I lost track. At yeah, it, but it's just every hit. Yeah. You just see the the Rat, Rat Pack, Pack logo. Yeah, and we're, but we're busy making films that we, because before Rat Pack it was just Rat. 
Okay. It's not like, I mean, I do love Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, but sure. it's more, it was Rat, which is short for Ratner. My right. nickname in high school was Rat. And then my partner's name was Packer. So he called me up one day and he says, we should start a film company because we're the only two people that can have a company called Rat Pack and not look like we're trying to be like uh, Rat Pack one. <laughs> trying to be cooler than we Because <laughs> yeah. your name's Ratner and my name's Packer. So we could actually You can tell him that's this. the reason. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so he he was in the media business. He, he, can, he got out of the media business and got into the casino business. So he had a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, hanging around and he said let's finance some movies and I said we do it let's do it big and so we made this deal with Warner Brothers but separately obviously I was directing movies but I was also producing movies Mm -hmm. so we we still produce films that we're not necessarily financing so one part of the business is financing all these big movies and the other part is still kind of Overseeing, with, yeah, or coming creative. up with ideas, yeah. Yeah, original ideas, producing, developing stuff. You know, we do a lot of documentaries. We do about ten to fifteen documentaries a year. No wow. shit. So I love docs. Docs yeah. is like which was one of your favorites? Um, well, one of my favorite docs ever made is yeah. probably the kid stays in the picture. But just the the um, we've made we made a doc on JT Leroy just oh, wow. now that just came out. That's amazing. We just did one on Carrie Fisher. We just did yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's doc that's coming out October thirtieth. Oh no shit. When is this here? Next uh, week. Okay, yeah, October thirtieth. Yes. Oh wait, when is that? That's like next week. That'll be yeah. Sunday. Okay. So this will have come out on Nat Geo. It's called mm-hmm. Before the Flood. So it came out yesterday. It's a climate. No. <laughs> no, I mean when this airs on Monday. Okay. <laughs> it came out yesterday. Yeah. Check it out because yeah. it's going to be on everywhere: Facebook, Hulu, awesome, yeah, Twitter, everything. We'll and plug it's, it hard. it's not and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's kind of his journey mm-hmm. uh, on for climate change, and it's not like um, Inconvenient Truth, which is kind of which is a good informative film, but it was kind of I would say a little boring. Mm-hmm. This is Leo in every frame of the movie. Wow, with his perspective of what's in, you know of, of the of the issues. Yeah, you've gotten to work with him quite a few times recently. You guys, uh, Rat Pack produced the Revenant. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, wow. yeah. So, <laughs> being good, good on you for yeah, that one. Yeah, that was that, unbelievable. That, that was. Did, fun. Do you when when that was even? I mean, I don't know what stage in it you saw like the bear attack scene. Yeah. But like, was everyone just kind of collectively envisioning that, or were you like, we have to make this? Well, the there most- was two big moments in the script yeah. that we knew, and that you know, uh, um, Alejandro was fighting for it was like okay and they were the most expensive ones obviously and then there were the big big moments yeah and that was the bear attack and then when he the horse jumped off the cliff oh, yeah, yeah and the camera follows the him camera, over like goes all the way <sighs> right so that was this the two big moments that we knew they were gonna have in the film and when i went up to canada to see the director and to see his plan before he started shooting i said you got to show me how you're gonna do this bear attack because i can't even figure out how the hell you're gonna do this and make it look real obviously it was dependent on the execution of the visual effects yeah yeah but they had leo tied onto a rope and they were dragging him in the no in the dirt yeah, you know, and the the viciously physi- probably. Yeah, and the physicality of. It. And then they had a guy in a suit, kind of as the bear. Right, right. So he can interact with something that was there in a Fuck. green suit. But it was it was incredibly well crafted and designed, shot by shot, moment by yeah. moment. But they had studied like bear attacks and bear mannerisms and mm-hmm. bear. Um, uh, but that's one of those scenes where if like. The effects are bad, and it's a and it's a weird cartoon. It was bear. all dependent on that. Yes, because it looks cheesy as hell. Yeah, but the I, fact that the realism was pulled off. I mean, it will take you out of the movie, and there wasn't a false moment. I mean, the no. coolest moment I thought in the whole bear attack was when the bear gets close to the camera, and he breathes. Yeah, and the smoke goes and, on the camera. Yeah, and the oh, yeah, yeah, and, and the yeah. cold air. It was yeah, the cold yeah, air. Yeah, 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 it, it, it fogs up the lens. It fogs up the actual lens. That was really a very. Do you remember when you saw? I mean, you probably saw it in stages. I saw different stages. I didn't want to. I didn't. You know, I wanted to see it close to finish as possible yeah. I mean 
I saw the the, the pre production. Yeah. So the storyboards and the animatics. They did animatics. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course the rigs and all that stuff. But then I waited to see the final kind of until it was farther along, and I was blown away. I said, "This is going to be one of the most great moments in cinematic history that people are not going to forget." This bear. Oh yeah, because everybody was talking. I mean, how many yeah. jokes about like people playing like <laughs> yeah. even Joan at the Oscars, right? Was like I was yeah, the, or he came out as a bear. Uh, came out he? as a bear. Yeah. Right, and then uh, yeah, there there uh, there was the Rock and Kevin Hart did a whole song exactly. about it. Like it, that that was the part of the movie, and the yeah. movie was such a cultural phenomenon that yeah. that was the part everyone focused on. Is are it, you thinking Leo for the whole time? I mean, when you guys were putting, it, does he get attached first? Is that kind of how that goes down? Leo was cast. Yeah, when, when the movie got green lit, I mean, it was it was the budget and everything was determined. I mean, Leo, you know, is the biggest movie star in the world. It yeah. makes. Mm-hmm. You know, a movie. Yeah, it makes like one movie a year, and it's always the best. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's you know, it, it, it makes it worthwhile to, to invest as much money as we do. Yeah, in, sure. in a film because he has a built-in audience. Yeah. You know, and it, it's bankable. Limits your risk. Yeah. You know? Is it hard for you when you're doing when you're wearing the producing hat? Yeah. Not to come in as a director and be like, yeah, maybe. Well, you I, it's funny. I always people are always like, what's the difference between a producer and a director? And it's always you know people are always somehow confused by it. But you mm-hmm. know, obviously, a director is a storyteller. And works with the actors and, you know, sets up the camera and stuff. And, and there's many different types of producers on set. And I'm the type of director that wants my producer sitting next to me at all times. So if I have a, anything I need, anything I want to bounce off of, I want a collaborator. When I'm a producer, yeah. I don't want to be on set. Because, oh, shit. okay. Oh, yeah, because I'm the guy. I, I don't want, like, you know, actors saying, hey, what would you think? You know, because I'm uh, like, yeah, I'm a director. And yeah. I don't want to. I feel like I'm always stepping on the directors. So unless the director really wants me there. But most of the directors I work with are directors who I trust. Who I believe in, who just go and shoot the movie, and then yeah, I, sure. and then I really, I think my biggest contribution will be in post production because I've done it so many times. You're so, there every yeah. step of the way in yeah, the edit room yeah. with the score, right. you know, and every aspect of like the finishing of the movie. Yeah, but well, I don't necessarily want to be hanging out on set. The only set I'd probably hang out on every day would be Polanski's set, Roman Polanski, because he's a master. I mean, oh, really? he, there's like Stanley Kubrick, who's not here with us anymore, and then there's Roman Polanski. So I get to visit his set. I've, I've been on a few of his sets, but I stay for like a week, maybe the most. And why is it so magical? Like from a no, no, just because he's a master. Yeah. He's, you know, he's 80 years old, yeah. 80, how old is Roman, 82, 83, 83. I mean, he's wow, been doing fuck. it for 60 years, he's, mm-hmm. his early work, his student films are mind-blowing to me, oh, really? he's just, he was born to do what he does, he just has a uh, understanding of, of cinema and tone. And so you just try to be there and soak up as much as you can. And I just, just want, because you never, directors never get to see other directors work. Yeah. So yeah. as a producer, again... Normally, I would get to see other directors work, but again, I don't want to be on set. Right, right, right. But with Roman, I want to be there and just watch every... Not that I can... I mean, look, it's such an individual skill that I can't Mm -hmm. be like... It's not like I'm going to get hints from the way he... But I get inspiration from other movies. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. Other every but anything can inspire me. You know, not only just the performance, but just you know the way a set looks, the way a location looks. But at the end of the day, like anything, it's about taste. Mm-hmm. If you have good taste for jokes, yes, right, or bad taste, for jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, you've seen my act, thank yeah, you. And, 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 <laughs> no, no. If you have, if you have, if you have, uh, you know, a sense of what an audience, a sense of what you like, mm-hmm. and of what you like is what other people like. Whatever you do, whether yeah. it's comedy or movies yeah. or anything, but if you have a sense of an audience, some people don't 
get some people just have such unique taste that it's not accessible. It's isolating. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's just it's it's just unique to them. It's not unique to what a mainstream audience is. You say you get inspiration from other movies, like when you did Tower Heist, uh, yeah. which was incredible. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Did for you watch? Eddie back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was. Did you watch other like I don't know um, group <laughs> comedies like that to kind of get. Yeah, I mean, I always before? love heists or yeah. caper films. Yeah. It's actually the second one I did. you watch The Great Muppet Caper before you did that? Is of course. That yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest I, caper films I of actually, all time. It's weird. Like, I did this movie Family Man. But er- again, one of my no joke, one of my favorites. Come on, you're just saying. I swear to God. I'm a, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I was raised by two women, so I have okay. a very sensitive side. Okay. And that movie is incredible. So I love, uh, you know, people like, oh, I know what movie inspired you. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I love It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. But... I wasn't inspired necessarily. Yeah, I was inspired in some way, but not for that movie. For that movie specifically, I was inspired by a movie called Being There. Why? Has nothing to do with Family Man. Being There is with Peter Sellers, by the way. Okay. But it was a movie that was a comedy Mm -hmm. that was shot like a drama. Oh, okay. So the tone of Being There... Because it was, it, it, it was shot as a very real, real, very grounded, very serious film. Because how do you play, meaning... A guy who's in an alternate universe. Like, what? Where can I send Nick Cage to go? You know, on a Tower Heist, I can send Eddie to work with some, you yeah. know, Nutcrackers yeah. or you know, Safe Cracker Nutcrackers. With some <laughs> Safe Crackers, I could send. You know, I could send on on Rush Hour, Chris Tucker, Jake Chan to hang out with cops. Yes. you know, in L.A. Right. But on a movie that you're existing in an alternate universe, There's no training. Yeah. yeah, and Nick was my inspiration because because of Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life. Because Jimmy Stewart can be big in a movie. But he's still real. Yeah. And Nick can be way over the top. By the way, yeah. I just saw a great movie that he did, The Trust. Yeah. And he plays a cop. They're two Vegas cops. Yeah. Bad cops. Nice. But it is so good. And there's such twists and turns. And it was so re- really well directed. First time director. I don't know the director's name. Hmm. But I love this movie, The Trust. But I, it's, it, it goes, I love Nick Cage. It's my favorite Well, that's actor. again why I love the movie so much. Because he's so such a, uh, a born <clears throat> tough guy in so many of his movies. And he was, to see the other side was really yeah. incredible. For that, me. Was the, that was the, 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 here's Peter Bogdanovich, famous film director. Oh, hey, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Making his his walkthrough. Yeah, you always have a house guest, whether it be yeah Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it be (laughs) hosting. I like having people here. I don't like being alone in this house. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, not the house is scary. I just like having guests. Is that a Jewish thing? I'm very much the same way. I like having friends. Me too. I I always have people staying. Oh man, that's the best. I always and my grandmother lives with me in the guest house right there. That's the best. (laughs) What I was going to say, by the way, backing up about Nick Nick Cage. Cage. Nick Cage. I had to beg him. I mean, it took me nine months to convince him to do this movie. No kidding. He was being offered Rollerball, and he was shooting Gone in 60 Seconds, and he had just come from that 8mm movie, and he was like in this dark oh, mode. yeah. And he was like, Brad, I don't want to, you know, I, I could see myself with a, on a poster with baby with diapers. I, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, trust me, it's not that movie. So I gave him a tape, and I said, read the scene on page 20 with you, with the little girl talking about the aliens, and then watch this scene from Kramer versus Kramer when, when Dustin Hoffman is making the pancake. Yeah, uh, French toast with yeah. his son. Yeah, yeah. Then watch Terms of Endearment. So I gave him wow. examples specifically for movies, so he understood what I was going for. Because you read it, you could have been like, "Oh, this is like Baby." What is that? Was that movie um, with oh, Twins or whatever? Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, yeah. or or you could have read it as just as, the tone would be completely yeah different. the tone because you could read it because it was very funny. Yeah. Again, remember. What I said about tone, I, I was trying to make being there as tone wise. Mm-hmm. It's a comedy, but I shot it like a drama. Yeah. 
So then I gave him examples of dramas. I didn't give him examples of comedies. He was reading and going, this is funny as shit. But I didn't go for the corny stuff. Right. I went for the real, you know. Your your knowledge of film, like just in this past 45 seconds, <laughs> where you're bringing up all these past movies. Where did this uh, love of film come from? The first movie I remember seeing... That was a movie movie because I went the first movie that I went to the theater was in 1976 that I can remember was Paul McCartney and Wings. Wow. <laughs> um, On the TV show. No. Okay. <laughs> it was Paul McCartney and Wings who did a, a concert film. Yeah. Wow. And I remember Linda McCartney on, you know, up on the stage of the piano, whatever. And Paul McCartney, it was like, I remember sitting in the theater with my mom and that was like the first film, but I, I, I ended up being in the theater. Um, and actually, you got to check because I don't even who cares. But I mean, it was either Star Wars, obviously, because yeah, sure. I remember it specifically because I was dropped off at the theater. There was one theater I was living in Las Vegas at the time. I was from I grew up in Miami Beach, but I, for two years my mom got married to this guy, and we moved to Las Vegas. <laughs> and wow, that's another story. And yeah. I and I'm in line. This is when there's one screen, and literally my mom would drop me off at noon. On Saturday, and I would not. She would pick me up at eight o'clock at night, and I still not got into the theater. That's how long the fucking line was. What? No kidding. Yes, I would come back the next day, and then I finally get into like the eight o'clock. I'd have to go to the payphone and call my mom. Mom, I'm going to get into the eight o'clock. So I'd wait at twelve o'clock. That's how. I mean that. that and so that's why I say a, tw a six year old kid. When I saw Star Wars, I guess it was the seventy six. Yeah, I, saw, mm -hmm. I was six or seven years old. When I saw Star Wars, you know, a seven year old kid could see that same Star Wars today. It won't have the same meaning. No, not at all. And it's not it's not because of the film. It's because of the experience yes. and the excitement and the hype. The anticipation right. that goes along with it. That I, and the wait. The fact that I yes. waited in line for two days. Yes. So imagine the anticipation. Imagine waiting in line for eight hours. I mean, Nobody would do imagine it. Imagine waiting. Yeah, yeah, waiting. Well, there was no cell phone. There was no, I remember I had to go to the payphone, call my mom. I had like a roll of quarters. And I would call my mom. And I would say, Mom, I'm getting, I got into the 8 p.m. So don't pick me up until 10 or whatever. Right. 10, so you had whatever. somebody save your spot in line probably too? Yeah, yeah of course. I, I came with a few of my friends. But <laughs> and there's a lot of trust involved there? Like yeah, the we, wait, you couldn't skip the line before, you know. No. And, and, and then from that, and then I remember later when I got into NYU film school when I was 16, all I would do is sneak into movie theaters and I would look at the name of the director and say, I'm Brett you know, Spielberg or whatever. And they go, oh yeah, my father wanted me to see the film. Come on in. <laughs> Holy and I, shit. I would literally, I was just, because I couldn't, I couldn't, I never waited online again. I was like, yeah. I'm not waiting online. Well, you, You've done your time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wait, wait. Six, so, okay, so you're in uh, Miami Beach, and then you go to Vegas, and that's uh, does your uh, love of the biz just continue to grow there? No, I mean, do you the get... movie that when I well, I love Star Wars, obviously that was a big inspiration. Yeah. But the movie that that did it was Raging Bull, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, you know, upset. I was like, how did this guy Martin Scorsese become a director? Well, he went to NYU Film School. I said, well, that's where I'm going to go. So go. I thought about it every day, but I'm. 10 you go to college when you're 18 that eight years is almost your entire life yeah, when you're 10 it, years old yeah it is your entire life <laughs> yeah. at that point so yeah. I was like I was like wait another lifetime this is crazy this. so I went to my mom and said mom you know I'm not learning anything in class she goes what do you mean he goes these kids are idiots I, I'm, I'm not learning anything I want to skip a grade you know whatever so she went and complained to the principal and they skipped me two grades so that's how I graduated I was the shortest kid speaking of short Hell yeah I was the <laughs> shortest kid in high school because I was 16 as a senior yeah yeah I didn't even have my driver's license by the time I graduated I got it like the last two months of school and I was so I, I graduated but I, I also stopped doing homework because I was like why am I going to do homework I'm going to be a director I was like, kind of like Woody Allen and, yeah. Yeah. and I was like why am I going to do homework yeah, you, knew, you, you knew what you were going to be yeah, I knew what I was going to be and so wow. I went to my my um, guidance counselor said you got to go to an interview at, at the school you know with a, with admissions office because yeah. maybe that you'll you know you're charming bread you'll convince them and you know maybe you could show them your film so I go with my, my little projector mm -hmm. I remember I had a three piece suit on I flew Eastern Airlines it was 
was like sixty five dollars to go up to <laughs> nice. New York. I went alone. I was I, I at sixteen. Yeah, I brought my projector with my best film, and mm-hmm. I start. I go into the emissions office, and they send me into the office. The woman's not there yet; she's out getting coffee, or whatever. And she'll be right back. So I start setting up my reels, and I'm about to project it on her wall. When she walks in, I'm turn off the lights. Yeah, I have yeah. everything ready. She's like, mm-hmm. "What are you doing?" I said, I'm showing you my films. He goes, we don't look at films. So I'm like, am I in the wrong building? What do you mean? You yeah. at, isn't this NYU Film School? Like, no, we, we don't look at films. This is academics. I'm like, no, no, just watch my film. You'll understand. <laughs> she goes, no, no, young man. I'm like, this is NYU Film School, right? She's like, yes, but we don't look at films. I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so she opens up my file. She yeah. doesn't realize I'm 16. She goes, young man, you have the worst grades of any students ever applied to this school. Because I was so presumptuous. She said, you're not getting in. She's not yeah. supposed to tell you that because I think kids sometimes if you, legally, if, you know, if they if a kid if you tell the kid they can't get in, then he hurts himself. They're yeah, liable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, shit. So they send right. a letter like a month later or right, whatever. Saying you didn't get in. So yeah. I said, I said, you know, don't worry about that. Just watch my films. So like, you know, you should go to Dade Community College where you're from in Miami for two years, get straight A's, and then maybe we'll consider letting you in. I said, this is ridiculous. No, no. What's ridiculous is that you're still standing in my office. Have a good day, Mr. Ratner. And Snap. Like, kicks me out. And I thought my life was over. Because imagine, sure. from yeah. I'm 10 years old, I'm thinking of going to NYU film school. I literally am told I'm not getting in. I'm walking down the street. I can't call my mom because it's a long day. I couldn't call Collect, but I was just like so upset. And I think, I can't let this person decide my future. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to the dean's office. So I asked the first person that's wearing an NYU t-shirt, where's the dean's office? They go, oh, he's on the top floor of that building. He has a little old secretary, one of those appointment books. Yeah. And I say, hi, I'm here to see the dean. And they said, uh, do you have an appointment? I go, no. They go, okay. And she goes like 10 pages past. She goes, okay, three months from now, on the third Thursday of the month, you can see the dean for 10 minutes. And I go, no, no, you don't understand, miss. This is life or death. And she says, okay, hold on. And I felt like... Two months. I felt like Charlie Sheen. I felt like Charlie Sheen in, in, waiting for Gordon Gecko to go into his office. Like I was sitting there going... And all of a sudden she goes, okay, come in, young man. And I go, Dean, my whole life I dreamed of being a director. I said, but if you don't let me in... I'm going to be living on my mom's couch for the rest of my life, you know? And he says, okay, uh, you know, get me this kid's file. And I go, you shouldn't look at the file. Trust me. <laughs> it's, it's, not great. it's not good. Yeah, it's ridiculous that this woman wouldn't look at my student film. And Long story short, I go back. My mom is like, oh, don't worry. You'll see what happens. I'm like, oh, I was like so nervous. I open the letter. It says you've been accepted to NYU film school. Holy and that was, shit. that was a defining moment in my life. Cause if I would, I would have yeah. got to know, I still would have become a director but I would have taken a completely different path. So when I got the yes, it just gave me so much confidence. You know, you, I mean, mm. th- think about that for a second. Every kid who's, and every adult who's probably listening to this has, every 10 year old who's listening yeah, like, <laughs> with a dream. We like, I got rejected from a college. It, it would never it, go into my mind, like going to the Dean's office and say, Hey, fuck you. Let me yeah, in anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and then to have it work. I don't know if it could work today. But yeah. I, mean, I think it was, it was, it was, you know, like I said, it was it was kind of meant to be like I that went there and and by the way when I went there it was no you know it was no uh, easy task because every single kid was the son or the daughter of somebody oh sure. for real famous I mean it was like I didn't know nobody I was from Miami Beach and everyone like was the son of some studio head or some director some producer yeah. and I was like Jesus Christ I was like and the, by the way. Every day I wanted to quit because I would see a film that would blow me. I mean, I wish I could find those kids today yeah. because they were so freaking talented. But see, the ta- most talented ones are the laziest ones. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you were working so hard because you were I would work on Everyone was out. trying to get laid or get high or party, and I, that's why I never drank or done drugs to this day because 
all everybody was always partying mm-hmm. and i was like making i was keeping the equipment on the weekends you know when yeah. i when you weren't when you weren't supposed to and shooting while everybody else was partying in college you were in college you wanted to party but right. i was like shit if i work harder I'm gonna and I and I became one of the most successful directors that ever came out of film school because I worked harder than all the kids who were way more talented than I was. Right. What would you shoot on the weekends? Well, I would just do pickup shots or just get extra footage or do shoot a scene again or I would just keep you know. It's, well, also you, you're looking practice at these makes kids. perfect. Yeah, yeah. and and you're and you're looking at these kids that who you, who you described as they're a stu- they're a studio head kid yeah. or a director's niece or something yeah, yeah. they don't they have they have the fallback they have the oh it's all right and they have my a little bit of entitlement and they also yeah. would lay, and they were really talented i don't know where they learned how to make these films i'm like jesus i mean i had made a hundred films before i went to film school but little short little tiny little movies yeah. so i was like jesus christ i'm curious where you get your perseverance from like i my I have a very jewish mother and she's instilled in me you know you create your own good luck yeah. and you don't ask you don't get and it's like you know, there's obviously a difference between being proactive and like nagging somebody, but like, uh, I mean, is that where you get that from? Or? Yeah, I think I get it from my family, but I just think I had a real desire. I had, it wasn't ever about getting rich. I never knew I'd have a house and like this. I never knew I had any car I wanted. I never knew I had, I mean, I wanted girls, but I never wanted, I never, I never thought. <laughs> that drives I, everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I never, it wasn't for something. It was like, I had a strong desire to make movies. Like you have mm-hmm. a desire to tell jokes. Yep. You just, it's in you. You, you When you're on stage you're mm. born to do what you do yeah. right it's the same for me I, I don't know what you do so I'm a comic too okay yeah. good. okay actor, so yeah. I haven't seen your comedy but yeah. I'm sure you're funny shit you're yeah. good you're funny now nice. but 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 what I'm saying is people have a, a desire yeah in in them to do things and it was always for the right reasons I always when I go to speak at film schools I'm like if you're doing this to, because you want to be famous it's never gonna happen if you're no. doing this because you want to be rich it's never gonna happen you got to love it because yeah. you know and oh by the way when I was in NYU film school my this is crazy. You're going to love this because you guys are comics. My classmate was Peter Shore, or he was a year ahead of me. Yes. Polly Shore's brother. Right, right. So he did a film. <laughs> uh huh. Fuck, I can't remember the name. I'm so old. With Polly in it? <laughs> well, Polly was in it, but I was in it. He asked me, came up to me, I don't know, and goes, Hey, man, I want, because I was the caricature of a Hollywood director. Everyone was like independent. Mm-hmm. You know, they made films about someone dying of cancer or someone dying. Sure. And I was like, Long, slow, I was black like, and white. Whatever <laughs> happened to Mason Reese is my student film, the, the child star. Oh, wow. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. And and I used uh, Mike Anderson in it. No shit. Yeah, you remember Mike Anderson Did uh, you, from Twin Peaks? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. No shit. Yeah. So I was I was always I was you know and people were like not taking me seriously. I ended up winning the NYU Film Festival, but no one took me seriously. I remember meeting two guys. One's an agent now. One's not with us anymore. But two guys who were producers. They were like the the team. They were like uh, Simpson Bruckheimer yeah. of NYU. Mm-hmm. And I said, can I have a meeting with you guys? I want you to produce my short film. They said, okay, you need to submit it to us. They take me for lunch. They said, we're gonna pass. I was like, this is crazy. We're in film school. This isn't fucking Hollywood. But they were acting like they were literally, you know, like Hollywood producers, yeah. which was hysterical. <laughs> and so Peter kids. put me, I've, everyone, I guess people are making fun of me saying, oh, Brett's a joke. Brett's a, no one took me that seriously. That just drives you harder, right? Yeah. yeah. And well, I didn't know really. And then he put me in the film playing a director who was always, because I would always say, I got Mason Reese in my film. I always bragging everybody about yeah. all my, I ended up getting money from Steven Spielberg from Kathy Kennedy sent me a check. I heard this story. I want yeah. to know if it was true. It's something like you wrote, like what, like the top well, this is what happened. 50 directors yeah. on Forbes? Is yeah, what, that- ha- what happened was, so I'm at NYU. I'm yeah. like thinking, I'm going to quit. I'm never going to be as good as these guys. And I'm like, NYU teach you how to make films. They don't teach you how to get a job. Right. So, Same with the USC Theater School, by the way. Okay. Like, so, 
So yeah. I, yeah. Get the training and then they're like, yeah, yeah. fucking good luck. Then good luck. Yeah. yeah. So I get a film, I get a magazine and it says the 40 most powerful people in entertainment. And I go back to my dorm and this is back in the day when you would call 818-555. There was no internet. 818-555-1212. And I would say, can I have the number for Warner Brothers pictures? And then I would say, can I get the address? And I would, and I would address the chairman. I would address whoever was on that list. The chairman of Warner mm-hmm. Brothers, the chairman of Sony, the chairman of Disney, the chairman of, you know, and all the big directors and producers. And I sent off a letter out with my film to all of them, and I got 39 rejection letters. But mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was being rejected. I felt like I had a relationship. With you got a response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like, one day I'm going to go to you, and you sent me a letter, and I still have all the letters. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then the dean of the film school calls me, and I think I'm getting kicked out, because remember, I was cheating. I was keeping equipment on the weekends. Yeah, right, right, right. I was like, you know, trying to get ahead, <laughs> and, and I, didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged there, because I had to talk my way in, and I'm like, okay, I'm not part of this, you know, yeah. school. The dean comes in and goes, sit down, Brad. He's like kissing my butt. I'm like, what, what, why are you kissing my butt? I was like, kid, I'm like, why? I was like 17 years old. He's like, you won't believe who called here looking for you. I'm like, who? He's like, Steven Spielberg. I'm like, let me stop you there. <laughs> I know it was my mother and my grandmother pretending because they want me to do well here. I'm so sorry they wasted your time. Right. They were pretending they were Steven Spielberg's secretary. Don't even. Yeah. I'm so sorry about that. I'm literally like never in a million years that I think it was true. And. Then I go back to my dorm and I call the number, just check in, and they answer the phone. Steven Spielberg's office. I'm like, is Mr. Spielberg in? Who's calling? Brett Ratner. Oh, hold on. He's expecting your call. <laughs> oh, oh, what? And then she goes, can he call you back? So yeah. my mom calls me 37 times a day. I had to hang up on her because I didn't have call waiting back. Yeah. No. Like, yeah, you had to keep yeah, that line I got to keep it phone clear. Yeah. And then I woke up in the morning with like slobber over the phone. It was this woman, Kathy Kennedy. Now I couldn't just Google Kathy Kennedy. I didn't remember she yeah. produced ET and I didn't remember all the producers' names. And she goes, You know, I'm, I'm calling you on behalf of Steven. I go, Well, can I speak to Steven? They go, No, you can't because he was busy. You know, he's in production. Sure, whatever. he's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> But he, we wanted to speak to you both and we wanted to tell you how impressed we were with your student film. And we don't give money for film students, but if you ever have a feature, and I'm like, No, but you don't understand. I kept her on the phone for like 10 minutes and I just hung up and I thought I was the man. I just felt good. Of course. I was like, yeah. And a few weeks go by. I walk into my mailbox and I open it up and there's a check from Steven and Kathy Kennedy and from Amblin Entertainment right. and I blew it up the size of my entire wall. <laughs> I put it, I put it like literally, I would carry it in my wallet till like the last day the check expired yeah. and would show it to, to girls to try to impress them. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. That's a great and thing And I was ready to, to put, Steven Spielberg presents a Brett Ratner. I was going crazy, you know. Okay? <laughs> but um, it was another defining moment in my life because it gave me so much confidence. Yeah. And it made me, re- it wasn't that I, well, it seems to have found me. It just, it valid gave me huge validation. You need those little, even in comedy, like we need whether you get into a festival or you get a late night <laughs> spot. These little like things along the way are like keep you going for another yeah. two years. You know. So I was yeah. in pa- Peter Shore's film, and I get a, I meet Paulie one day, and he's like, "You're the funniest one in the movie," and I'm like, "Oh come on, God, I gotta find that movie, Kasha." And that and, and, oh, that, what was and, it and, called? and that's just you playing uh, me playing myself. Yeah, yeah, a film student yeah. who's like obnoxious and whatever. And so Polly becomes my best friend and he starts, he was treating me like shit, by the way. And I, I, and he would say to me, you know, I was living up at the, at the house above the comedy store with him. Okay. I would go up for like, you know, weeks at a time. He was like, had girls like fucking on rotation every, and I had to sleep on the couch. He Bro, you sh- can stay, but the couch is where you're. Yeah, gonna exactly. Be. <laughs> he wouldn't. He wouldn't share. We would go down. The first time I went to the comedy store actually was with Anthony Michael Hall, who was my best friend, nice. and Robert Downey Jr. We flew out from New York to LA to see Sam Kinison, and Anthony Michael Hall and 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 Robert Downey were heckling what? Sam Kinison from the back of the audience and. And Kinnison started, he was obviously coked up. Sure. And in a rage. And he would like, he was like, you know, fucking screaming at it. He didn't know it was them because they were disguising their voices. Right, I was right, sitting right. next to them 
crying. I mean, I was like, I'm like the Zelig of film directors. I've been places like where <laughs> shit happened. I mean, I was at China Club when Rick James. There's a famous picture of Rick James and Eddie Murphy in the China Club. The story that yeah. that Eddie's brother. I was there at that club what? when that picture was taken. Like literally, my life was crazy. But I, <laughs> but I was always around comedy. Yeah, and so. The first, my first exposure was with Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr., who had just done SNL together. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they they loved Kinnison. They were trying to convince Kinnison. I think it was Back to School. Was it Back? Let me. It was Back to School, the movie that Kinnison was in. Do you yeah, remember? yeah, with uh, with uh, Robert uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, thank you, sir. So it was. So they wanted they wanted Sam Kinnison to be in. Are you good on time? Like twenty five more minutes? You good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And they wanted Robert to be in in in. Uh, I mean, they wanted Kinnison, and I was there when they were heckling him. And I think Paulie came, but whatever. So Paul became my friend, and he would shooting this thing on MTV called The Weasel. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, make. And I said, let me direct one of the episodes because I'll direct anything. I'll direct the fucking. Just trying to get experience. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would direct a fucking infomercial if someone asked me. I was sure. like ready to direct. And he was like, shut up! You're not a director. I'm the director of the weasel you know you're not the fucking he was you could be the rat so there's an episode somewhere that i was on a whole week where he made me do the most ridiculous stupid shit i am youtubing all of that tonight yeah i was the rat and he was the weasel and it was a week (laughs) and it was so embarrassing whatever and he would treat me like shit and he and i should have sued him because son-in-law was me and my girlfriend at the time rebecca gehart was from kentucky and Mm -hmm. all those stories i told him he kind of stole but i'm no way i love paulie i'm not gonna sue. sure but 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 then all the time that i spent at the comedy store and then back in new york when when i was while i was in nyu russell simmons was my best friend was you know the godfather of hip-hop and he started yeah. the show called the the deaf comedy jam yeah. so Hell he yes. would ask me to go and and watch all the comedians the black comedians in the clubs at, at the auditions for the deaf comedy jam that's incredible he had a guy picking the comedians yeah. but mm-hmm. he trusted me because i was like my white perspective my white jewish yeah <laughs> and he thought i was really funny so i called him up one day and i said you got to get this guy chris tucker he's the funniest motherfucker he goes oh yeah 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 you know we'll get him we'll get him you know mm-hmm. And I walked up to Chris and I was a music video director at the time. I said, I'm doing a music video for Heavy D called Nothing Beloved and I want you to be in the video. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how much you gonna pay me, man? <laughs> and I said, $500. He goes, no, man, I need a thousand. I go, I don't have it. He goes, I right, can I keep the wardrobe? <laughs> and I said, yeah. So I put him in the Great video. Bargain. Look at him negotiating time, already. It was the first time he'd ever been on, on camera. Wow. It was before he shot his Deaf Comedy Jam, Chris Tucker. He was like 19 years old. I have a picture of him at Polaroid that I took of him that day. No kidding. And he was... He was, um, I did the video. It was the biggest video on MTV. Mm-hmm. And when videos mattered, yeah. And, right. th- and my, my name would be on it, it would show every five, 10, 15 minutes, Jeez. whatever. Yeah, exactly. And all the, and then Madonna and Mariah Carey and, 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 and D'Angelo and all the big artists started asking me to do videos. And I started doing well from that video before I was mm-hmm. like struggling. And I had money and I sent him the check three months later for the other 500 that he asked me for. <laughs> and I guess he got it when he really needed it. Oh, wow. When he really needed it. Mm-hmm. And I, he never called me to thank me, but I got a copy of the cast check. Because mm-hmm. he signed it on the back. Right, exactly. That's when you would get your checks yeah. in the mail, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he said, um, and so never heard from him again. He went on to do Friday. Mm-hmm. He got $15,000. Went on to do Dead Presidents. He got $25,000 to start in Dead Presidents. Then he was about to do this movie, A New Line, called Money Talks with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. The director, a week before shooting, went to see the head of the studio, Mike DeLuca, and said... Um, the director says, you know, this kid, Chris Tucker, will, will only improvise. He won't say the lines on the page. Well, the head of the studio goes, well, what do you suggest we do? He goes, let's fire him. And he's like, let's get another black guy. And the head of the studio says to the director, you're fired. 
Nice. Gets rid of him. Calls in Chris Tucker. What are we going to do? We're shooting in one week. Every week that we don't shoot is going to cost us a million dollars. He goes, I remember this cool white boy, Brett Ratner. What? <laughs> what? Shut the and fuck And I have not seen up. him in years. No shit. Since I've, but he remembered what a great experience it was and how great the video was. Yeah. And the chemistry that we had together. And he put my name out there. And Mike DeLuca had known I already done big music videos. Yes. So I'd become yeah. like a big music yes. video director. So I'm like, oh, I heard of Brett Ratner. Yeah, let's, let's do it with him. Yeah, because he's like, Chris, you like him. You're vouching for him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I jumped in with a week prep and Money Talks to my first movie, which I think is funnier than all, all the Rush Hours. That's, oh my and, God. Oh, and that Rush was a, Hours. And that's a lesson really for people out there because, you know, monetary remuneration is a byproduct of excellence. And yeah. when you pay somebody, even it's not even paying, even a note, if I would have just sent them a note maybe, I think the money worked better, but <laughs> a note even <laughs> yeah. to say, thanks for doing a great job. You know, sure. when someone appreciates when you when they deliver for you, mm-hmm. and you reciprocate, whatever it doesn't have to be, you know, a money or a gift. Yeah, it could just, be a note. Just oh, yeah. letting them know that hey, I know you. That comes stuck back, out. and it yeah. came back. I mean, millions of times. Oh my god! I can't even tell you. I was paying them so five, so three years before I paid them five hundred dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. We do money talks. It's a hit. We do rush hour. He gets paid a million dollars by rush hour two. He's gotten twenty million dollars. And twenty percent of the gross, he made fifty million dollars. And for three or four years before, I paid him five hundred dollars. Yeah, and what? I made a fortune too. So it's like it just shows you, like you know, thinking, thing. re- remembering when somebody does good for you and right. appreciating that it will pay off eventually. And now, and by the way, comedy is like. I've always, I, I mean, I, I watched all these, you know, everybody come up, every one of these guys. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Deaf Comedy Jam because it's Jimmy sure. Fox. And yeah, being associated with Martin Lawrence and all these guys and stuff. I saw them. But but that was my training, watching all these comedians at the time. I mean, I would watch Chris Tucker do a set and say two or three jokes didn't work. And he mm-hmm. would come back and do the second set. Yeah. And those exact three jokes that didn't work would kill. Yeah. Because he just would deliver them differently. Yeah. We, he yeah, would learn from it, right? Yeah. He knew how to make adjustments just real yeah, quick. He makes yeah. adjustments. And <clears throat> I realized that. So whenever I would whenever I couldn't get something out of him, I would show him the playback mm-hmm. on the monitor. He would see it and come back and do it. And once he would own it and stuff that wasn't, you know, that, that he didn't get, like, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. He didn't know what the fuck Mr. DeMille what the reference <laughs> was. Or, you know. And yeah. I would show him this, the reference and from oh, the okay. movie. So then he got it. And then he would get it and yeah. own it. And it would make it his own. And so he was brilliant. It was a brilliant. Did you know he was a? I mean, on Rush Hour, I mean, it was like he just. It was like movie. It was like you're a movie star. Like in the, yeah. Did he have that same pop when no, he first he saw him in the music he, video? I saw him on stage when he did it. Yeah, I saw him because I believe me. I I looked through every. I mean, this is when Bernie Mac and all these guys. Yeah, were all around, the classic, all, really all the classic ta- Def Jam. Really sets. talented yeah. guys. Chris had a charisma. He had a, a, a handsome thing going. He also when I he also was able to pull off dramatic moments yeah. you know which a lot of comedians sometimes are just funny right where chris can be real too and i begged him to do jackie brown quentin called me and said chris has turned me oh. down six times i sent him the script he won't read it he won't do it oh, i shit. called him i were on a plane every time i got chris to do something i start crying but i fake cry you know <laughs> <laughs> and he goes don't cry but white boy come on i love you brad i love you brad oh, he, calls me. he doesn't even, for 30 years i've I known him it. for for i don't know how many years 20 something years yeah he still calls me brad he doesn't know my name's Brett, right? So that's Brett. incredible. Yeah. Oh, the text me, that's so Brett. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And so he's like, so I go, I go, we're on a plane. I wait till we're, you have to trap him. So we're on a mm-hmm. plane going somewhere like South Africa somewhere. And I'm like, Chris, you know, I, I just read Quentin's script. Yeah, man. He wants me to do a cameo, man. I don't know cameos. I'm not doing that. I go, Chris, I don't care if he asks you to walk through the frame. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. 
it will be a classic. Yeah. You have to do it. Man, I, I'm not doing that, man. I'm a movie star, man. I'm starring movies. I don't do that shit. I'm like, Chris, you got to do it. Trust me, please. I'm begging you. And I literally spent, I think, 14 hours. <laughs> the whole flight, ear. yeah. And then when he got it, fine, man, fine. I, can I tell Quentin you're going to do it? Yeah, I can tell. Don't embarrass me, Chris. I'm doing it, man. Don't worry. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I read in the scene. Mm-hmm. I told him how funny he was. He, it was, remember how brilliant that said? Oh, it was unbelievable. It's it was so, it's so quick, but it stands it's out. real. And it's so, so much. fucking real yeah. because he created this character and he was brilliant. I mean, I remember him calling me freaking out because we had just done Money Talks and he was shooting Luke Besson's movie in England. Uh-huh. And he was like, man, this Prince should have done this shit. I, this ain't, <laughs> and Prince, he tried to hire, get Prince. Get out. Try to get Prince to play that part. Wow. wow. He's like, man, this is, some, this is not right, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> my people are not going to like this, you know. <laughs> my people in Decatur, Georgia. You right. Know, they're, like, they're very judgmental. He, he didn't say judgmental, but yeah, that's yeah. what he meant. Like, you know. God, how- I don't know how I'm going to walk around the hood and this, after I put, after with this outfit they got me in, Brad. <laughs> Brad. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so did you, how was, uh, did you find Jackie Chan? I mean, was that like, Jackie Chan's amazing. I mean, Jackie yeah. Chan. Jack, working with Jackie Chan is the equivalent of working, I think, with Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, and Charlie Chaplin in one. The just guy. A master oh, he's everything. a master. I mean, I learned more about filmmaking than this guy. And I'll just give you an example of two different s- s- scenarios. But mm-hmm. I mean, if I tell him, I have, you know, he goes, what, le- what size lens? He'll just go, what lens? And I go, 50. And he'll know where his focus is. Oh, actors, wow. I go, Chris, man, you're out of focus. You got to step up to it. You know, I have to put marks down for yeah. actors. You got to light yeah. and everything. Jackie Chan knows the light, knows the focus. He's so knows, aware of his He's a director, writer, yeah. actor, editor, cinematographer. He could do every job. Gaff. He could gaff. He could be the dolly <laughs> grip. He could do every job on the set. I mean, Chinese movies, that's the way they did it. Yeah. So there were two instances where a lot of frustration on Russia are because I, you know, I was a young kid, and mm-hmm. I'm doing this huge movie and fucking doing dangerous shit. And people, they had like safety people on set watching me the whole time. This is your first big, I mean, Money Talks was was my first movie. It was right, but Rush Hour is bigger. But it was under the radar. Nobody, nobody was paying attention. No one mm-hmm. thought a movie. Remember, only Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt movies and all these movies were, were hits. Right. There was no movie with a black guy and a Chinese guy that was so big, yeah. as big as ever. It was okay. Like, nah. Yeah, exactly. And so it was under the radar, but except they had safety people on set watching. Okay. Me, you know, like Brett's. You know, because they knew Jackie Chan was prone to do shit without. Without clipping in the <laughs> he wire, does his own stunts. You know, he just, yeah, he, he was just like, does it. Make sure no one gets hurt on set because Brett, Jackie might be able to convince Brett to let him do it. And mm-hmm. yeah, so like <laughs> and remember, there was a scene in the movie. I don't remember when he's chasing. They're running in this abandoned building downtown, and the bad guy throws an axe at, at yes, ja- at Chris, and it hits sticks in the wall next right. to him. So. The producer's there. He's like, okay, you got to do this digitally. I'm like, oh, that's going to look like shit. This is before digital. Yeah. Facts, mm-hmm. right? You know? And I'm like, you know, no, Jackie's like, let me show you how to do this. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so he, here's the, there's, I can't, it's hard to describe visually, but it's, it's basically, he stood underneath the camera mm-hmm. and took a, the ax. There was two, he said, get me two axes and just went like the, pushed, put the ax in front of the lens, spun it twice. So it yeah. looks like it was rotating, but it was right. It was right there in front of the lens. Oh, and that's two different axes? No, one axe okay. is in front of the lens, yeah. and it just rotates once or twice around. Yeah. Then he drops it out of frame, and then someone below the frame line where it's supposed to stick in the wall sticks it in the wall. Oh, oh shit. So it, was wow. like, so it spins in front of you. It's an optical illusion. Yeah. And I would have never thought of that. I mean, we did it in one take. It cost nothing. It would have cost like a fact then a hundred grand to have an axe go through the wall. And right. Chris and, could and, react to it because I'll thump yeah. you with the thumb. Yeah. He could react to it. 
you know, meaning he just went like this and released it. It was below the frame line, so he just threw it in the wall. So there's someone here with an axe and someone over there with an axe. So there's two axes. And that was dude. all Jackie Chan setting it. that up. Jackie Chan said, this, let me show you how to do this. Amazing. Or stuff like we, we had to do a crane shot and um, where someone had to peek over the roof. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to get a crane up to the roof. You got to rig the crane. It took like 12 hours, literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, with 18 guys carrying this fucking crane because it's like a, 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 a crane that you can operate. That won't fall off the roof if yeah. you go over the side. And uh, right. Jackie was like, this is ridiculous. This fucking Hollywood. Brett, can I just try to go, well, Jackie, you can't fucking, I can't hang you off there. No, just please. And I said, fine. So you get a rope. Mm-hmm. Eight guys hold him. He's the ca- he puts the camera up to his face. And they slowly let out um, yeah. uh, uh, slack. And he just, his whole body is like a, is stiff. And the camera's at his eyes, and he just kind of, he becomes a, 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 a crane arm. Holy and they just shit. let him down, and he's parallel <laughs> with the building. Oh and, like, right, and I go, done, got a bread, and then would pull me up. I mean, it was like, no I mean, the shit. lessons were just like, because it was the practical way. They used what they had. Yeah. It was never so. There was this one scene where I had to convince, the best scene, uh, I had to convince Chris Tucker. Remember when he was nude in the movie, which yeah. was the biggest movie? Now, Chris Tucker had a nudity clause where mm-hmm. he had to prove it, and he, he wasn't going to be nude in the movie. Okay. So I got a, his double, butt naked, mm-hmm. with Jackie Chan, and it was on the freeway in Hong Kong. Okay. You can't block off the freeway in Hong Kong. No. You don't get permits. <laughs> no. So he's like, ah, oh, fuck you. I'm so mad. I can't believe you're making me do this. Use my double. I go, no, I need to re- at least to see you. You got to turn towards the camera. I was a block away on the roof of a building with like a thousand millimeter lens. No Literally, kidding. the lens was like three feet long. And I, the focus has to be perfect yeah. or whatever. We, we prepped it. We lined it up. And Jackie and the double are butt naked in a car, and they get kicked out of the car butt naked. So they're yeah. cover- he's covering his dick. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'm doing this once, Brad. Do yeah. not ask me to do this again, right? <laughs> Eight cars, slamming the brakes. He's running across the freeway butt naked. A car slams on his brakes next to him and asks Jackie Chan for his autograph. <laughs> And, and I go, oh, fuck, the shot was ruined. Yeah. And Jack comes up, fuck you, Brad. Yeah. Okay, I do it again. Fuck you. He was so oh, pissed wow. off. wow. And, and so so we did it, and it ended up in the movie. And I didn't show it to Chris. Yeah. And then when Chris saw the movie, the audience was screaming when they were yeah, making yeah. the movie. I mean, like screaming. It was like the biggest moment. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, so working with Jackie Chan and Chris, and hopefully we'll make a Rush Hour 4. We're trying to come up. It's so hard. We've done everything. It's so hard. I was going to say, And it's yeah. like, we've been to Paris. We've been to Vegas. We've been to Hong Kong. Right. Maybe we'll go to China. Where do but you it's go? like, we're trying to figure it out. And and look, the kids have grown up. I mean, there's a big audience out there for it. But we got to be smart. He's probably still it. just as in shape and like, just as willing to oh, put his is. body in harm's well, way. Grumpy, grumpy old rush hour, we'll call it. I mean, <laughs> I mean the, I you could play it. like the, uh, you know, like you could be the Joe Pesci from Lethal Weapon in the middle. Oh, so, wow. so like I'm in between them? Yeah. And I got, well, whatever. I can't talk faster than Chris Tucker. We gotta we, we gotta figure something out yeah. there, but yeah, I'm in. Then was the chemistry between them just instantaneous, instant, yeah. or was it? That's the, why the movie works so well. People are like, oh, Brett's a genius, and yeah. and I knew it was gonna work, and because if it didn't work, the movie wouldn't have worked. Yeah, but after Money Talks, I you know the studio's like, what do you want to do? I go, I want to do a movie with Chris. I grew up, I did the Wu Tang video, remember Triumph? Shut up. And I did, and I as I grew up around Kung, I did martial arts. I watched mm-hmm. every Bruce Lee movie, every Jackie Chan movie. I knew, and I'm like, I want to do a movie with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. So I flew to South Africa to convince Jackie Chan to have. I flew South Africa 28 hours to have lunch with Jackie Chan. <laughs> 
okay? <laughs> to convince him. And I don't know if he was going to do it. Yeah. And I come back and he finally he says yes. That's a whole long story. I won't get into it. It's a long story. But the first time they met was at an office at William Morris. Mm-hmm. Right? And Chris like, I love Jackie Chan, man. I love him. I love him. <laughs> we go into a room. Mm-hmm. Jackie's got like eight guys with him. It's me and Chris. And Chris talking, Jackie, I love you, man. You're the best. I love you, Kung Fu, man. I want to do that shit. I want to teach me how to do that shit. I can do that. I'm cool. I'm back. And Jackie's shaking his head, and Jackie starts to talk, and Chris goes, can I talk to you, Brett? Yeah, come outside for a minute. I come outside. He goes, what are we going to do? I go, what do you mean? He goes, Jackie Chan don't speak English. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I don't understand a damn word he's saying. I can't understand. Can we make a movie with him? I go, it's going to be fine, Chris. I promise. Mm-hmm. I go back inside. Jack goes, I like Chris Tucker. I go, you like him and you're excited? He goes, yes, but I, I don't understand what he's saying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I said, Perfect. this is going to be fucking yeah, genius. That's the line. And, and we use it in the movie. movie. So every yeah. time I go, Chris, every time I go, Chris, I give him a signal. He'd be like, you don't speak English, do you? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Yeah. That was all real. That was shit. Like they didn't. Dude, that understand. catchphrase was so Jackie, so much. Jackie yeah. would would remember phonetically his lines, right? And he would be get cued by the last word in Chris, but Chris would never say the last word because Chris would always say his lines out of order. And he would improvise. And, yeah. yeah, and he would. Well, he would. It would, it would say what it, what the meaning was, but he would never say it. He would say it in his decatur way. Right. right? He would say right. it in a different way than what was written there. Yeah. So that word never came. So I'd have to signal Jackie, but then I would always have to do a lot of. Making, make sure that it made. My whole job was really was managing to make sure that it made sense. Right, talking yeah. to each other because Anything. half the stuff that they said to each other, they didn't understand what they were saying to each other. <laughs> you know, Chris <laughs> is from Decatur, his country. You know, and and his his, his English is is very country. And Jackie like had no clue as to what was being said. Conversationally, Jackie's good, but yeah. when he has to read lines, it was like, and he could jump off a building like with a blink. Yeah, but to read lines, he would have like a nervous breakdown. It was crazy. Shit. <laughs> That's, so so the, the same way you showed like um, Chris stuff with Jackie's probably, or did he just know of him? I I I showed him money talks. So did Jackie? Okay, you showed Jackie money talks. I basically this is how I got Jackie to do the film. I went to see him. I said, Jackie, you've been making movies longer than I've been alive. I was twenty seven at the time. Jackie's been making movies for like thirty years. I said, you know, I love your movies, but the, here's the problem: your movies. Don't work in the United States. They they were only doing like four or five million dollars at the box office. Yeah. I said because you have a twenty minute fight sequence or a cult thing, mm-hmm. you're only fighting stuntmen. You're not fighting real villains, real characters. I said this should be like a Bond movie. I said, you know, where there's a great villain, beautiful women, you know, and Jackie, your physical comedy and Chris's verbal comedy will be a great combination. Fish out of water. And mm-hmm. I explained this to him, and I said, "Chris is a brilliant, you know, comedian, but your physical physicality and Chris's, you know, thing. Chris is almost like a, you know, cartoon character, also, yeah. you know." <laughs> and I said, "The two of you together will be really special." But I didn't really know if they had that chemistry. But when I said, when I saw them in the room and they didn't understand what they were saying to each other, I said, "This is going to be brilliant." Oh I said, "This God. is going to work." I just knew it. That's incredible. And people think the great thing about the movie is you think that they hung out twenty four hours a day. Yes, best that's what friends. You they never. They would go in each other's trailers, never speak to each other. And even on the press tours, you, you and they you, loved. You, the, no, they yeah. loved each other. Yes, they loved each other in the room, but they couldn't talk, communicate. So they wouldn't really. You know, Chris. Would, I mean, and Jackie calls me every time. Chris calls him, Jay Chan, I love you," and he calls him. You know, to, he, Chris, Jackie will not understand. Which is so uh, <laughs> crazy because, by the you, way, the box set of Rush Hour One, Two, and Three is yeah. coming out now oh, yeah. for for uh, Blu-ray. So check that out. Too. Hell yeah! Because usually the chemistry for people to for it to be that great on screen who have never met usually there is some like yeah. hanging out involved right pre so for them to never really kick it and just yeah. be amazing when the camera's rolling 
is and phenomenal. so comedy is a big i mean comedy is is it's is just it's the hardest it's the, yeah you know comedy act and and when you mix action and comedy i feel like i took my cue from eddie because eddie was like always said to me you know brett you got it because what you did was beverly hills cop was not a comedy it was it was a, it was a thriller yeah, it was a thriller and it was an action movie with right. the funniest man on the planet. Exactly. And then so, it so everybody a played it real. Everyone yeah. was real and I was just being funny. If you had other comedians in there trying to be funny, you know, everyone was always playing it very real. Yeah. And tone wise, so you have a great villain, which I I took the cues off of forty eight hours, you know. And that's yeah. even harder than than Rush Hour, but it's not Rush Hour's PG thirteen, yeah. right? Right. But but um I always knew I mean Eddie was kind of my hero and I studied those movies and I really understood you know, toned from those movies. Marty mm-hmm. Bress was a great director. <clears throat> and I always thought, you know, <clears throat> if I ever get to make a movie in this genre, I know I could do it well because of what what, what Eddie did. Because yeah. I, I understood the difference because then I'd seen so many of these movies had come out around the time Martin Lawrence had a movie. Yeah, like uh, Blue, Blue Streak or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like all it, these movies, and they yeah. just never got the tone right. Yeah, it They're got goofy, to too goofy, too, too funny, broad, yeah, too silly. You didn't. There were not real stakes. Mm-hmm. I said, "There's got to be real stakes." So that's why I hired Tom Wilkinson in the first one. I hired Zhang Ziyi, yeah, you know, from Crouching Tiger. Yeah, I got John Lone from The Last Emperor. I got, um, you know, uh, you know, Alan King, whatever. I got actors that are that are, you know, dra- dramatic. Alan King's on. I mean, he's a comedian, but yeah, but you know. <laughs> but. It, but to but to play it real, but play it real. And no, it was always important. Yeah, and when you're on a and when you are working with one of your heroes, whether it be Eddie Murphy or or whoever, are you ever intimidated on set that you can't like give Eddie Murphy a note or that you can't no, give no. Alan Aldo a note or any, no, any of these guys? No, I know it can't I mean, be right. To be a director, I think you got to have a point of view. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to be right, but I have. I always have a specific point of view. I know what I want. If I don't know what I want. I'm open, but actors want to be directed. Yeah. That's a whole yeah. fallacy. Like, oh, if you're a legend, you know what you. But you, they need to. They're only in their scene. They're not thinking about what's coming before or after, right? Gotcha. And it, especially if they're not in every scene in the movie. Sure. So they need uh, someone to drive the ship and to kind of decide tone wise. Okay, how fast am I going to go right now? Should I slow it down a little bit? Should I mm-hmm. pick up the pace? Where's the beats? Where's the? And so they they always I always love an actor that comes with his own ideas, or his own interpretation of how he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with, you know, kind of putting your perspective and point of view into it because you, you're the director. You got the biggest directors, the best actors I know, the best actors I know, mm-hmm. the most successful actors I know want to be directed more than the ones that are just cocky fucking you know, I know guys it all. who think they know it all. It's the ones, Anthony Hopkins and, yeah. you know, the great at Ray Fiennes and all yeah, the great. Yeah, I, that was in a Red Dragon. Red, Red, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that yeah, film. Thank you. Thank you. I freaking I didn't even know you did that movie until yeah. I was doing research for this interview. Right. And man, because uh, to take on uh, the Hannibal Lecter character, such yeah. an iconic character in yeah. cinema and then to do your own interpretation of it. Yeah. And, and and scary. Had had, had you done a like a I'd scary not. film? It was like the biggest budget student film ever made. Yeah, like, <laughs> the the the, 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 the scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's character goes down the street on fire. Yeah, holy shit! Yeah. Like that. Well, it, it was the, so I, haunting. You know, the thing is, I think at the end of the day, like I said, it's about taste. So if you have an eye, if, I think my strength is knowing good material, mm-hmm. right? And then. Um, 50 years ago, directors would go from a comedy to a musical to a drama to a Western to a... 
there, yeah. there was like a it was like a assembly line, right? They would they wouldn't even edit those movies. They would just kind of <laughs> But they're they're what they a job as a director, what's their job? They're storytellers. Mm-hmm. That's their their craft, that's their skill set. So I should be able to tell any story, whether it's a comedy, whether it's a scary movie. Yeah. It's a, and so, yeah, so I, I learned on the job, really, because certain things you can and cannot do. And I shot, you know, not all my movies look like Rush Hour. Right. right. So I, I adjust my storytelling based on the genre and based on what I have to do and how I have to tell that story. What were some of the biggest differences from Rush Hour to Tower Heist, other than just two people ensemble? I mean, that you maybe that you took from ensembles are difficult. There was a lot of technical difficulty. I mean, the building in the movie was a character in the building Mm -hmm. and was a character in the story. And it was very complicated, that movie with the car. And I mean, it was just really complex. I mean, it was, you know, you're trying to do a comedy, you're trying to do a heist, you're trying to do Mm -hmm. an action movie. I love mixing genres. I never have done a straight action movie. I've never done a straight comedy. Right. I've always done a little bit of both both because that's the hardest thing to kind of accomplish because you got to please you got to you got to be credible mm-hmm. in a heist you know you have to make a legitimate kind of movie unless it's a spoof right or, sure sure know? sure and then you also have to deliver on the humor but if you're too broad then you lose the the, the stakes right you don't believe alan alda then if you don't mm-hmm. you know what i mean so you gotta it's a, ba- it's a difficult balance now with uh now with all the stuff you're doing with Rat Pack Entertainment, how yeah. are you how are you choosing projects? Because I imagine you're a guy that people are bringing stuff to. Every, yeah, yeah, I'm getting a lot. Day. I mean, look, it's about my own personal taste, my instincts, but also it's about filmmakers that I love. I just did Warren Beatty's new movie. We produced it. Nice. And we financed it, and and so it's 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 working with people that I love, people I want to work with, young filmmakers, great documentary filmmakers. Yeah. It's just it's fun. I mean, it's it's a business. So so there's no real like set. No, there's no model. Thing, Ma- yeah. I mean, we're doing so many movies. It's hard to even. I mean, it's yeah. diversification is the, is the <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 really about making movies that are high quality and that are you know mm-hmm. commercial and entertaining and 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 with people that we you know we want to work with and and hopefully we make some money too. But that that's a, Rat Pack is the business side. Yeah, documentaries is like the hobby mm-hmm. and. Directing is my job, basically. Yeah, that's my job. So I don't, I don't, Rat Pack is not a job for me because I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. I get to finance movies. I get to produce movies. I get to right. That's fun, um, but it's my business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And documentaries are just like there's no prof, a lot of money to make them documentaries, but I love it so much. It's just a passion project. It's a passion yeah. thing. And then directing is just like my, you know, my career. It's like as, what I do. Has there ever been a film that you passed on that then got made that you're like, ah, crap. I should have made that one. There's there's two categories. There's films Other I than passed Airbud on. Seven. There's yeah. films I passed on that I wasn't all crap that I felt like most of my films I passed on and everybody has those stories. Sure. Um that I was happy I passed on. Then there's films that I wish I did that I wasn't even offered. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, why was sure. I offered that film? Yeah. Um you know, I remember I was offered Memoirs of a Geisha at one point and oh, wow. I, it was a big important, you know, I was doing a Dragon, I was doing Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, I love Asian culture. I love mm-hmm. Asian cinema. I love it, but I just couldn't wrap my head around. I got. I tried to get into the book, and it was just, it was not moving me. It's like, how do I make it my own? Like I could do it as a job, sure. But I always wanted to say how. Do, and what I love about my movies is that I hope and think an audience is when you see my movie, you're like, that's a Brett Ratner movie. That you don't have to see my name on it. To yeah, know it's my movie. Yeah, Maybe you you get a sense of you know whether it's X Men or Family Man, I'm in it mm-hmm. without being in it. 
Right. My persona is in it. My yeah, I was going to say, like, you, you can tell certain shots are like, all right, that's a Scorsese shot. or yeah. that's But it's a more than Quentin just Tarantino a shot, shot because there yeah. is, like, Spike Lee has his definitive shot or Michael Bay even has a, you know. The yeah, the slow, the slow motion rotation. But it's not the shot. It's mm-hmm. more the tone and the energy gotcha. of the film. You have a genuine personal connection to every yeah, film. Yeah, every choice is mine. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. decision. The actors are are taking my cues and, and direction and they're, they're, they're there for me and with me and it's, it's fun. Was there one moment, um, I'm just very curious because I, I, how many people get to direct Eddie Murphy, but like, was there one moment that you, in watching or directing or, or an exchange with you two where you're just like, holy shit, like I can't, like I can't believe I got to be in the room for this or be a part of this just because of how great Eddie is. Wait, say it again. Eddie Murphy, like being, I guess, in his presence and just working with him. And obviously, Eddie, Eddie, it's good because I became, Eddie became my friend first. Yeah. He saw Rush Hour and called me and was like, I want to meet you. And I was like, this guy's my hero. And just, we became very close friends. I think Eddie at some point thought, I can't ever work with this guy. Brett's too hyper. He's crazy. He's like, (laughs) you know, but he loved my movie so much. He loved Rush Hour. He loved the other movies I did. He was just really, he, he, he. He thought you got it. Yeah, I felt like, fuck, I, I was so, so, I know he was like hesitant, like, shit, is he going to drive me crazy? Because Eddie's very p- particular, I would say, in, sure. in, in, in his, and professional, by the way. Like, there's nobody like him. I mean, he'll look at the page once and know the words, you yeah. know, and, and he's a pro. And I, I have such, you could tell I have such love for him, and he feels that. He can't, people say, oh, he's so, he can be difficult. Eddie's the least difficult person I ever worked with because he feels my excitement about being on set with him. Separate than a lot of times I'll work with the first time director and go, Mr. Murphy, thank you so much. You know, I'm such an honor to work with you. I don't think he he goes for that as much. It's not it's not like ass kissing. Yeah, so it helped that you guys were friends first. Yeah, I think there was that moment of he he understood what I was trying to say. Yeah. He knows knew me so well, he got it. He felt it. How yeah. much room is there for him to um, just kind of other, I mean, just like, like most things you'll do one on the page and then go, all right, kind of. He's happy to do everything on the page and he's happy to, you know, if you want something, he'll give you something if he finds it. But it's yeah. got to happen. Organically. It's the opposite of what, for instance, what Ben Stiller does and a lot of actors do, which is beat the comedy to death and like rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it. Eddie just wants to find it. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it has to come from a real place. Yeah, it's not, and especially with comedy, because if you do it so much, then the material becomes sort of bland to you. Bland. So, you, so when you have to discover ben was it. like, you know, let's rehearse. And he's like, yeah, man, call me when you're ready. You rehearse the shit, you know. Like, <laughs> and he knew it. He knew what he had to do. He knew yeah. what he wanted to bring. And Ben, you know, had another, it's another method. It's not, mm-hmm. it's just a different way of doing it. I like Eddie's way, really, because Eddie's, Eddie's way is... Was was more um, organic, I guess, and yeah, not forced. And, and but 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 there are. But I do love the the the. I'm a friar, and I'm an abbot of the fr- not an abbot. I'm something in the friars club. I'm yeah, maybe I'm an abbot. I don't know. That's <laughs> but I'm I'm something at the friars club. I'm on the board or whatever. But I love the Jewish intellectuals, mm-hmm. comedians, where they intellectualize the comedy. Oh and yeah. It, you know, it's Great crazy writing. making. When I worked with Mike Myers, I did a music video for Madonna for Austin Powers. I don't know if you remember that Beautiful Stranger. Beautiful remember? Stranger, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Mike was... Well, you did that music video? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> and Mike was, Jesus, I mean, he was like genius. I mean, mm-hmm. he would only talk to me as Austin Powers. He would not talk to me as Mike Myers. <laughs> I mean, that's so the greatest fr- day ever. <laughs> it was so frustrating. <laughs> oh, was, yeah, baby. <laughs> He'd be like, you're a big director, baby. Yeah. He'd be like... <laughs> I'm like Mike. Listen, <laughs> so we talked to Mike. Yeah, and he did this thing where he was Madonna was 
improvising, playing with him. I told her, you know, she was all over him. Mm-hmm. And he, by the way, so when he she did it, he stayed in character because he's a pro. Right. But then when he saw it in the film, he was like, you got to get that out. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, that's like, that's too far. I'm like, no, it's just, it's the funniest thing in the movie. Yeah. I don't remember. She was rubbing her vag like on his shoulder. He was like <laughs> sinking in his, in his chair, but he stayed in character. That yeah. Was his, I said, but look how in the moment you are. But he came and he, he came in the edit room and he kind of, he got, he said, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Then he's Mike Myers and he has no sense of humor. He's, exi- he's meaning, oh, interesting. not in a bad way. He was just very serious. Yeah. He was just, you know, no joking. I was trying to joke with him. He yeah. joked with me the entire fucking shoot. <laughs> he, he, fucking with me. Is Austin he was Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. And then Mike Myers, I couldn't get a laugh or a joke <laughs> out of him. Wow. So then he says, can I get a pen and piece of paper? And he says, play the video back. And he would stop and start and stop and start. And he was like, okay. And he, he's writing like a chart on a piece of paper. And he goes, look at this. A, B, A. B, B, C. A, B, C, D. A, B, D. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. You're like, SOB. Look at the what pattern, the Brett. Yeah. <laughs> joke, joke, moment. Yeah. Joke, joke. La- <laughs> Mo- I mean, he was like analyzing and breaking down. Wow. Like, like, like numerology. Like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. Yeah. Drawing over the place. Yeah. Like so. the moments where he was interested. Like he was trying to analyze how I came up with it. And I'm just, an, I'm, an, I'm a gut guy. Yeah. Yeah. I just find the moments, I build them up. He was trying to figure out how intellectually I built this music video with so much humor <laughs> and inc- built up to the climax. And then, because I, what I did was most music videos, you know, you shoot four different locations or four different set pieces and then you intercut them. Mm-hmm. And But then you're bored at the end of four minutes. Mm-hmm. So I held things. I don't remember there was like a, 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 a colorful set where there was... Um, you know, it, it spins. I remember there was a green, sort of a green background. Yeah, no, green background, but also the floor. Yeah. Okay. I drew like a, fun, whatever. It was like a spin top, you know, whatever. So I, I held that or even, or even uh, mini me. Mm-hmm. I shot him for hours there with all these hot chicks all over him. <laughs> sure he didn't mind that. I used him for literally two seconds in the video. <laughs> but it was such a big Necessary, moment. yeah. Because if I, I, I learned, because when I did my films at NYU film school, I had this incredible shot and I used it 27 times in the movie and it was boring after the third time. So I realized Less if you show more. something once, yeah. it's so much more powerful. Yeah. So I had the best footage of Mini-Me dancing with these hot chicks, but I only used it for two seconds <laughs> and I got the, one of the biggest laughs. There you go. In the movie, but it was just something that I just knew from my experience, from my, you know, from, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you feel like you take something from every project, everything. Every just... fucking project I learned something, whatever it is. Yeah. I just learned something I learned from the yeah, mistakes it... and, and from successes. But he was saying, back to just how Mike, you know, he was trying to intellectualize it mm-hmm. and analyze how I did it. And I'm like, there's no way to analyze this. This is just my understanding of comedy and of of what makes fun and what's funny. And I wasn't having like test audiences come in to see it. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. Put it in, put it in, put it in. Uh, That's how he operates though, huh? Just really, I mean, yeah, he just he has a different way. Like, again, yeah. there's but there's a lot of oh, the old Jewish comedians do that, they kind mm-hmm. of they, overthink they, and you know, I'm sure, you know. yeah, they uh break it down. Yeah. Um, I wanted to before we wrap this up, uh, when when we met at yeah. uh the Beverly Hills, Hills Hotel, Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you sat down and had breakfast, uh, breakfast next to me and my girlfriend, who is now my fiance, by oh, the way. Congrats, thank you, sir. Uh, and then you told me that you were in the whiskey business. Yes. And you, I was like, "What? Brett Ratner's in the whiskey <laughs> business?" And you sent and you sent me a bottle. Yeah. I, I went through it 
amazingly fast. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's it's great. It's called it's called the Hillhaven Lodge, named after the house that we're sitting in right now. Yeah. Oh shit. And uh, it is. Damn good whiskey, sir. Yeah. I never dreamed I'd be in the whiskey business. Because exactly. you never had to say, drink in how, your life. Yeah. But I never, I, 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 more than that, it was just that I, I always, you know, spirits and cocktails and we're always just like part of cool culture, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I thought, okay, you know, at the time, this was like nine years ago, Mad Men was a phenomenon yeah. and everything from the 50s and 60s was coming back and you know every time there's a cool moment he grabs a glass of whiskey and I was mm-hmm. like the 50s has got to come back so I met with this company Diageo and they were like you know it's all about tequila and vodka I'm like no that's everywhere I said whiskey is cool they go no it's it's not doing any business whiskey and I said no no you don't understand I think whiskey's you know Sinatra Jack Nichols I mean everybody right. cool I know drinks whiskey S- Sinatra's buried with a bottle of Jack Daniels right <laughs> yeah so and I'm like cool, yeah and I'm like <laughs> uh, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta come back at some point. Mm-hmm. And after a few years, they said, "Wow, you know what, Brett? You were right. We were tracking, you know, whiskey globally, and it's really starting to make a move." And then I said, "Well, let's do it." This house is very famous from the twenties. Parties. It was built just for parties. No kidding. It was the party house to a big estate. Mm-hmm. It was just for parties, entertaining. Wow. And so I said, "This house has had decades of enter- parties." And I continue the tradition. There's a disco in the basement that was built in the 70s. The what? Guy bought it. Alan Carr produced Grease. Built a disco in the 70s. I'll give you guys a tour. Yes. Hell yes. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, this house needs a house whiskey, a house mm-hmm. spirit. And yeah. it should be whiskey. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what they drank at the heyday of this par- house when there was parties here. And so we worked on it. And Diageo is the best in the world at, at, at selling spirits and, and creating um you know, brands uh, believed in me, believed in the concept and created a blend that no one has ever done before, which is a whiskey, a rye and a bourbon mixed together. Yeah. I've never heard of that. I said, but here's the, here's the key. If you can make it, I watched Patron before Patron women were not drinking tequila. There was a worm in it. It would burn. Yeah. It would. I said, if you guys can make something smooth enough that women can sip this, Mm-hmm. Without having to put coke in it, without having to yeah, right, yeah, yeah, mixer, and just without even an ice cube, yeah. we're gonna win, and that's what they did, and that's how we have the Hellhaven Lodge. Yep. And so it is. I mean, Brad, you're not. I'm not paying you to say this. Nope. Right? It's damn good. People love it. I mean, people people who are whiskey aficionados. Yeah. Um, Aaron Paul is like, this is my favorite whiskey I've ever tasted. Holy I mean, shit. literally. I mean, people who know whiskey, know the drink, who are only Johnny Walker drinkers for 30 years are switching to Hillhaven. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Hillhaven Lodge. And it's right now it's in California and Florida. It's coming out this year, 2017, New York, Nevada. It's in Kentucky too, because that's where we make it. We have sure. a distillery there. Oh, nice. Has to be. So, yeah. So, well, yeah. And so we we have it in Kentucky. We we're opening in New York. You know, because each state you have to license. And yeah. It's a, a whole complicated thing. Mm-hmm. So New York, Nevada, and it's coming out. I think Texas. So we roll it out, but it'll be global. It'll be everywhere in the world, and we're just very selective places. You know, they serve it at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Yep. It's by the pool, they have a mixed drink by the pool. That's amazing. You know, Bel Air Hotel. You know, they sell it at Wally's. They sell it at the usual places, the Chateau Marmont, and all the cool spots. So find so find this bottle of whiskey and uh, enjoy it while 
watching the new box set of Rush, Rush Hour. Hour. Exactly. So yeah, buy the box set on Blu-ray, exactly. enjoy your Hillhaven Lodge. I do want to know uh, yeah. real quick before we wrap up. Brett, you said yeah. you host a lot, uh, have a lot of parties yeah. and whatnot, and people stay here. Brad said at one point, and maybe this is true or not true, uh, Michael Jackson was staying here? Michael Jackson stayed with me, yeah. Michael Jackson and I would live together for months at a time. I would go stay at Neverland. He would come here and stay here. Wow. Um, and we would go to my Florida where my family's house. We would live there for months at a time. Michael was my best friend. Michael was one of the greatest, Amazing. unbelievable people ever. I mean, I remember I had no furniture in the house. And I'm sitting on my bed with my friend from Hong Kong, this guy, and we're sitting there watching, you know, movie, whatever. And the gate rings and I ring, I open it. I didn't check. I didn't have like the security cameras and stuff. Mm -hmm. And in walks Michael Jackson in full um, sequence military regalia. You know, with like tuxedo pants and, and the white socks and the black shoes. And you're saying, what weird NyQuil dream am I on And my right friend now? was like completely freaked out. Yeah. Michael Jackson was sitting there and he comes and sits on the bed with us for hours. <laughs> And just sits on the bed and, <laughs> and shoots the shit. Yeah, huh? And just shoots the shit. Yeah, yeah, and just hung, hang out. And then I mean, he would. He was amazing. He was funny guy, hysterical, but practical jokes. He would. He would do shit. I mean, I would get in trouble every time I tell the story. But it was like other things he would do, which was just childish, obviously, because yeah. he was a kid. But he would always get a room sometimes at the Beverly Wilshire, and I'd be in the room, and he'd be. He'd ask me to go fill up some balloons with water. I go, why? Because I just want to fill up balloons with water. And then he'd go out on the balcony and start throwing him <laughs> at people on the street. And he hit this woman in the head <laughs> with a balloon. So it didn't, it wasn't right. Yeah, it didn't hurt. But, but she had just come from the beauty parlor. <laughs> Her hair was like fully and the fucking, and she went in the management and the manager, he, so the, they start banging on the door and Michael goes, I'm going to go hide into the bed. <laughs> So the manager comes and I go, hi, how are you? He goes, Mr. Ratner, can you please ask Mr. Jackson? I go, Mr. Jackson's not here. Can you tell me to tell him that he yeah. goes, we know he's in here in the building. Who are those sequined shoes under the bed that <laughs> yeah. are sticking out? Please ask him to stop throwing water balloons, please, at the people up down below. Because By the way, what a great sentence. Please yeah. tell Michael Jackson to stop throwing water balloons. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. he would do shit like that. And his house was just unbelievable. I mean, he had a theater the size of Lowe's on his property. No shit. With Ugh. these... King size beds that were in the back of the theater, but inside this pane window, like you know, and and they were just I mean, imagine a giant bed that you kind of it was like yeah, they were like these hospital beds, like a recliner bed, recliner yeah, beds. And you got Amazing. to see him live and um, or work in the studio. I mean, did you get to oh, like yeah, yeah. yeah? I mean, every, every, every you know, he was doing a video with Paul Hunter, a friend of mine. Remember, was it not remember, remember the time? No, not remember no. the time though. Um, I forgot the name of it, but Chris Tucker was in it. Yeah. Oh, um, and, uh, and he wouldn't show up for three days because he said, I thought Brett was directing this. I go, Michael, they didn't, I'm not directing. He goes, I'm not coming unless Brett's there. <laughs> it was like, an, I felt bad for the poor director. Yeah. He was my friend. And he was like, I had to go down there and go in this trailer. He would not come out for three days. Literally wow. would not come out. It was costing like a million dollars a day. Brando was there. On, in the video, oh, that? rock yes. this world or something. Yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, rock and yeah, rock yeah. My world I, I, yeah. Chris Tucker was dancing. Yeah, like, they, oh, so I'm there. Kind you of, did it. Yeah, yeah. That behind one. the camera, like going like this. <laughs> God, I gotta find those pictures. That's unbelievable. Uh, man, uh, well, you are a man that turned no's into yeses. Yeah, no and shit. that is a distinct talent. And uh, all this that is around us right now, you've you've definitely earned. And uh, whether it be whiskey, whether it be movies, whether it be throwing water balloons at people with Michael Jackson, <laughs> you've done you, it all. You've uh, you've uh, 
done it all, my friend. All right, man. <laughs> so well, great for thanks for having me. Dude, this, thank, was fun. this is unbelievable. I'll come man. check out your set. You have to, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much, Brad. All right, Brad. Thanks, bud. All right, thanks, guys. Subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast. Give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.